The Old Testament reading today on the sermon text will be Exodus 27:20 through 29:46. So another very large portion of Scripture, Exodus 27:20 through 29:46. Please open your Bibles there. It will not be up on the screen uh, today. And the New Testament reading will be Hebrews 5, Exodus 27:20 and Hebrews 5. I will ask you, brothers and sisters, to uh, focus uh, very intently on the scriptures read. Again, it is a long text, and then the sermon will give an overview of the meaning of it, and after that I will make some suggestions for application. Exodus 27, verse 20. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. In the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. 28.1 Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastplate piece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, of purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones, and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance." You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. You shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall make it. It shall be a square and doubled, a span in its length and a span in its breadth. You shall set it in four rows of stone. You shall set in it four rows of stone. A row of sardis, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agite, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, 
an onyx and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two signet settings of filigree, and so attach it in front to the shoulders pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece, on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower parts of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod, at its seams above the skillfully woven band of the ephod, and they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue, so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod, so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it, with a woven binding around the opening, like the opening in a garment, so that it may not tear. On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem, with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out, so that he does not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord, and you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in checker work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen. And you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. 29.1 Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket, 
and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces, and wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and take part of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the tip of the right ears of his sons, and on the thumbs and their right hands, and on the great toes of their right feet, and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar, and of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his sons, and on his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. You shall also take the fat from the ram, and the fat tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination, and one loaf of bread, and one cake of bread made with oil, and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put these all on the palms of Aaron, and on the palms of his sons, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands, and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination from what was Aaron's and his son's. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution." It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel for their peace offerings, from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place shall wear them seven days. 
You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But an outsider shall not eat of them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh for the ordination or the bread remains until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days shall you ordain them. And every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. 29.38 Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb shall you offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you. To speak to you there. I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Let us go now to Hebrews chapter 5 and read that text, which certainly pertains to this one that we have just read. Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5 verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also... Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a priest after the order of Melchizedek. 
About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This now the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. This large portion of the book of Exodus that we are considering today can be divided into three parts. Firstly, in Exodus 28, we find instructions for making the garments that the priests of Israel were to wear as they served before the Lord and on behalf of the people in the tabernacle. Secondly, in Exodus 29:1 through 37, we find instructions for the consecration or ordination of these priests. That is to say, instructions for the ceremonies by which the priests would be appointed to their office. Thirdly, in 27:20 through 21, at the very beginning of this passage, and in 29:38 through 46, at the very end of this passage, we find instructions concerning the duties. Of the priests. In brief, they were to tend to the lamp in the holy place in the presence of God, and they were to offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people at the altar in the courtyard of the tabernacle, morning and evening, day after day. I wish to approach this text in the same way that I approached the previous one regarding the instructions for the construction of the tabernacle and its furnishings. First, I will address what was to be made or done. After that, I will ask why. In other words, we will first consider the facts regarding the priesthood of Israel, their garb, their ordination, and their duties. And after that, we will ask the question, what was the meaning or significance of these things? Why did God, why did God instruct Israel to establish this priesthood and to do these things with the priests of Israel? First, let us briefly consider chapter 28 of Exodus, wherein we find instructions for making what the priests of Israel were to wear. What were the priests of Israel to wear? Well, in summary, the people of Israel were to make contributions so that skilled craftsmen could make fine garments out of fine material for the priests to wear, just as the tabernacle was to be built by skilled craftsmen out of fine things so that it would be a beautiful and glorious place for God to dwell in and to commune with His people, so too the priests were to be clothed with fine things and with beautiful garments so, to, so as to serve the people of Israel in the tabernacle that God had given to them. These garments were to be crafted in a beautiful and glorious manner. Aaron and the high priests who served after him would be dressed in an especially ornate way. Aaron's sons and the priests who would descend from them would be clothed in special garments too, but with fewer accoutrements than worn by the high priest. So there was a high priest to serve the people, but there were also ordinary priests, and these were to be dressed in a similar but not quite the same way. It's important to remember that the priests of Israel were descendants of Aaron, who was himself of the tribe of Levi. These Levites who descended uh, from Moses' brother Aaron were to be set apart to the service of the Lord in the tabernacle and later the temple. 
These were to be clothed in glorious and beautiful garments as they served the Lord in His tabernacle on behalf of the people. So what in particular was Aaron to wear? Eight items of clothing are described to us in this passage, and I would like to tell you about each of them briefly. First of all, the priests were to wear undergarments. These are described in 2842. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs. This corresponds to what was said earlier in Exodus concerning worship at altars. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it, Exodus 20 verse 26 says. This talk of nakedness and the need for clothing to cover such nakedness should remind us of the account in Genesis chapter 3 regarding Adam and Eve's fall into sin, their awareness of their nakedness, their unsuccessful attempt to clothe themselves, and the Lord's graciousness toward them as He clothed them, Adam and Eve, with animal skins. These two stories regarding the clothing of Adam and Eve and the clothing of Aaron and his descendants are related in some way. Both carry this theme, God by His grace clothed sinful man so that the shame of their sin might be covered and so that man might walk before God and not be consumed. Certainly these earthly things, the clothing that was applied to Adam and Eve and this clothing that was to be applied to the priests of Israel, pointed forward to the work that the Messiah would do to make actual atonement for sin and to close those who turn from their sins into Him by faith with His righteousness and holiness. Adam and Eve were clothed with animal skins graciously by God to cover the shame of their nakedness that came in as a result of their sin. The priests of Israel were to be clothed in this glorious apparel, this beautiful apparel. And I am saying to you that this was a picture of the finished work that the Messiah would come to accomplish By accomplishing His work, He is able to clothe all who come to Him by faith, not with garments of cloth or animal skin, but with His righteousness. I am getting ahead of myself a little here. I'm talking now about the meaning or significance of these things, but I do wish for you to have these ideas in your mind from the start. There is a connection between Adam, Aaron, and Jesus Christ that we must have in our minds from the start. Secondly, Aaron was to wear a tunic. He was to wear undergarments. He was also to wear a tunic, which in the ESV is translated as coat. This tunic, or coat, is mentioned in 28.4 and 28.39 and 40. These tunics were worn next to the skin. They covered the body, the arms to the wrist, and the legs down to the ankles. Uh, Tunics were worn by common people in those days, so they were not unique to the priests of Israel. But these tunics that the high priest and priests were to wear were to be especially fine. They were to be made of fine linen and woven with a checkered pattern. Thirdly, the priests were to wear a belt or sash around their tunic. This sash was to be made with fine material. It would keep the tunic close to the body and would also be wrapped around the other items placed over the tunic, which we will consider in just a moment, to hold everything together so that the priest could do his work without being hindered. Fourthly, the high priest was to wear a special robe. 
This robe was unique to the high priest. It was one of the clothing items that would distinguish the high priest from the other priests. This robe was to be all blue. It would fit loosely over the tunic, falling nearly to the ankles. The collar was to be reinforced, preventing tearing. There were only armholes, no sleeves to this robe. And the bottom hem of the robe was to be richly decorated with embroidered pomegranates and bells were to be attached between the pomegranates so that the high priest would not only be seen in the tabernacle but also heard. These golden bells would ring as the high priest would walk as he ministered in the tabernacle. The people would see him, they would also hear him. Fifthly, the high priest was to wear an ephod. This also was unique to the high priest. In 28, 6 through 14, we learn that it was to be made of five materials. Gold, blue, purple, and scarlet wool yarn, and fine linen. It was like a long vest or apron which was draped over the robe that was just described to you. So then the high priest wore four layers of clothing, undergarments, a white linen tunic, a blue robe that was beautifully ordained with pomegranates and golden bells. And finally, he wore an ephod woven together with gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. The sash or belt that was mentioned earlier would be wrapped around all of these items to hold them together so that the priest could do his work. There is one feature of the ephod that must be mentioned On the tops of the shoulders were two precious onyx stones set in gold. And these stones were engraved with the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. Six on the left and six on the right. This served to remind the high priest and all who observed him that he represented all of Israel before God as he ministered in the tabernacle. So can you picture this and and understand the imagery. The high priest would, would carry Israel with him before the Lord on his shoulders. He would take Israel into the holy place and even into the most holy place once a year. He would take Israel and bear Israel on his shoulders as he went in to minister before the Lord daily in the holy place and yearly into the most holy place. The sixth item Uh, is this, hanging by chains of braided gold from the two onyx stones that were set in gold on the shoulders, was a breast piece. This is called the breast piece of judgment. It was to be made of the same material as the ephod, with dimensions of nine inches square. The precious cloth was to be doubled over to form a pouch. And so you can see from these these pieces on the shoulders, golden rings and a golden chain would hold this, this breast piece made of fine material. It would be doubled over to, to form a pouch, nine inches square. And on the front of the pouch, twelve precious stones were to be set in gold, each stone representing one of the twelve tribes of Israel. In 28.29 we read, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel and the breast piece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. It is clear that this breast piece and the twelve stones that were set into the front of it 
represented all of Israel. As the high priest entered the holy place, he represented Israel before the Lord. Israel was on his heart, if you will. He carried Israel into the tabernacle and he made intercession for them before the Lord. This breast piece was called the breast piece of judgment because of what it contained. I mentioned that the breast piece was to be formed into a pouch. And contained within the pouch were two items, the Urim and the Thummim. 28.30 says, And in the breast piece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. The word translated as judgment here does not refer to the wrath of God as if Aaron were to walk into the tabernacle and absorb on this breast piece the wrath of God. That is not the meaning. Judgment here does not refer to God's wrath, but rather it refers to the decisions or the declarations of the Lord which were binding on the people. Uh, the NET translates this Hebrew word not as judgment, but as decision. You are to put the Urim and the Thummim into the breast piece of decision, and they are to be over Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord. Aaron is to, be, is to bear the decisions of the Israelites over his heart before the Lord continually. That is Exodus 28.30 in the NET Translation: The NIV says, Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. And I think those translations, the NET and the NIT, NIV, rather, bring some clarity as to what this means. There is much that is unknown about these two objects called the Urim and the Thummim. Um, in fact, no instructions are given for the construction of them, for the making of them. It's as if they have already existed and been in use at this time. Uh, but they are to be placed into the pouch of, of the high priest, into this pouch of the breast piece. Um, they seem to have been used in Old Testament times to inquire of the Lord regarding His will in matters of uncertainty. Perhaps they were objects that were cast as lots before the Lord. You may see Numbers 27.21 and Ezra 2.63, Nehemiah 7.65 for instances where uh, one or both of these objects are mentioned as uh, the priests inquire of the Lord concerning uh, matters that are unclear on behalf of the people. Whatever they were exactly, these two objects were to be kept within this pouch of the breast piece of judgment or the breast piece of decision making. Seventhly, the priests were to wear a turban on their heads. This turban was common to both the high priests and the priests. All of them, the high priest and the ordinary priests, were to wear a turban on their heads. And then eighthly, a crown or band of gold was to be placed on the forehead of the high priest. This band of gold was unique to the high priest. It was engraved with the words, Holy to the Lord. It symbolized the high priest's authority. This plate also reminded the priest of his office, his responsibilities, and the guilt that he himself would bear for failing to fulfill his duties. 
So now you know how the high priest and the priests of Israel were to be clothed. The high priest would be clothed with all eight of these items that have been mentioned. The ordinary priest would be clothed with undergarments, tunics, belts, and turbans. All of these articles of clothing were to be made with the contributions from the people of precious things by skilled craftsmen for glory and for beauty. In this way, the high priests were set apart and clothed in such a way that was fitting for the work that the Lord had called them to do in His tabernacle and later temple. Now that you know how the priests were to be dressed, I'd like to say just a few words about how they were to be consecrated or ordained. Exodus 29 tells us about the consecration of the priests as well as the consecration of the altar of sacrifice in the courtyard. I think it would be possible to devote another sermon to this chapter, but I think I can summarize the text sufficiently in five points. First of all, Aaron and his sons were to be washed with water at the entrance of the tent of meeting. They had to be made ceremonially pure before entering into the priesthood. 29.4 speaks of this. They were to be washed with water. Getting ahead of myself a little bit now as well. I think we should think of baptism at this point. The priests of Israel were to be washed with water before being ordained to the priesthood. They were made ceremonially pure in this way as their flesh was cleansed. Two, Aaron and his sons were to be clothed with the clothing described above. So then, having been cleansed for the priesthood, washed with water, they were to be clothed with these garments that were just described. They were to be clothed with these garments of beauty, these garments of glory. Three, Aaron and his sons were to be consecrated with sacrifices. Animal sacrifices and sacrifices of grain and oil were to be offered up to the Lord. In this way, the Lord was to be worshipped during this ordination ceremony. In this way, thanks to the Lord was to be given while His priests were ordained. Four, Aaron, his sons, and the altar at which they were to serve were to be cleansed with blood. Animal blood was to be poured out at the base of the altar. It was also to be splattered on the altar and applied to the horns of the altar with the finger. And in like manner, the priests were to be splattered with blood, and blood was to be applied to the earlobe, the thumb, and the big toe of the priests. Just as blood was used to make the altar fit for service, so too it was applied to the priests to make them fit for service. One question you probably are wondering is this, why was the blood to be applied to the earlobe, thumb, and big toe of the priest? What was this about? Well, think of it. This was to cleanse them, to hear the word of God with the ear, to perform sacrifices with their hands, and to lead the people into the worship of God with their feet. Blood was applied to these three places on the priest's in order to signify what the Lord had called them to do, the priest was to listen to God. The priest was to have an ear that was attentive to the Word of God. The commands that had been given and written, even as the priest inquired of the Lord on behalf of the people, that the priest was to have a holy ear, and so the blood was applied to the earlobe. The priest was to serve with his hands, offering up sacrifices on behalf of the people, and so blood was applied to the hand. And the priest was also to lead the people of Israel into worship 
on their behalf, he was to enter into the tabernacle and represent them there. And so blood was applied to the foot also. The blood of expiation was applied with precision to the priest to purify them so that they might fulfill their peculiar calling. Five, Aaron and his sons were to be anointed uh, with oil. Anointing with oil signifies anointing with the Holy Spirit. So then, having been ceremonially washed, having been clothed, having been covered by the blood, the priests were anointed with oil, signifying the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps by this point, if you are still with me and paying attention, you are noticing parallels with our experience in being made priests of God under the new covenant through faith in Christ. We'll come back to that in a moment. I said I had five points. I have more. Six, Aaron and his sons were consecrated with food. Some of the sacrifice was to be burned outside the camp as a sin offering. Some of the meat was to be burnt upon the altar as a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But some was to be set aside as what is called a wave offering. This portion would be lifted up by the priest toward heaven as if it were being received by the priest from God. This portion of the sacrifice was to be eaten by the priests. It was their portion. And in this way the priests would be supported and sustained in their work day by day, year by year, generation to generation. They would eat and drink before the Lord in the service of the people. And there something of the covenantal relationship between God and His people was signified too. Seven, this consecration ceremony was to last for seven days following the pattern of the week wherein God created the heavens and earth and then rested on the seventh day. So now we know how the priests of Israel were to be clothed and how they were to be consecrated. But what was their responsibility? What exactly were these priests to do? The work of the priests is nicely summed up for us at the beginning and end of our text. In 27, 20 through 21, we learn that the priests were to tend to the lamp in the tabernacle to keep it burning continuously. You remember that lamp, don't you? The lamp that was shaped like a tree with seven branches on it. It was a lamp that was to burn continuously before the Lord. And the priest's responsibility was to tend to that lamp so that its flame never went out. Remember that the lamp, the table for showbread and the altar of incense inside the holy place signified God's presence and the way that God had made for His people to approach Him from on earth. The priests were to draw near to God on behalf of the people. The high priest would carry Israel with him into the tabernacle to minister there in the presence of God on his shoulders and with Israel on his heart. They were to minister on behalf of the people there in the presence of God. They were to offer up prayers to God on their behalf. They were to inquire of God on their behalf. And so I am saying to you that this remark about their responsibility to, to tend to the lamp in the holy place... Uh, summarizes this entire responsibility that the priests had. They were to enter into the presence of God on behalf of the people. They were to intercede. They were to bring Israel into the presence of God, carrying them on their shoulders and on their heart. In 29:38 through 41, instructions are given regarding responsibilities of the priests to offer up morning and evening sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. Every day, in the morning and in the evening, 
The priests were to offer up a year-old lamb, a tenth of an ephah, that is about one and a half quarts of fine flour, mixed with one-fourth of a hen, that is about a quart of oil, and a drink offering. In the morning and evening sacrifices, thanks was to be offered up to God for His provision. Also, God's covenantal communion with His people was there signified. This was the work that the priests were to do. They were to intercede on behalf of the people and come before God in the holy place. And once a year in the Holy of Holies, they were to offer up sacrifices to God on behalf of the people day by day, morning and evening. That was the work that the priests were to do. So we know what the priests were to wear, how they were to be consecrated as priests, and what they were to do. Now let us briefly consider the significance of these things. Why the priesthood? Why these garments? Why these ordination ceremonies? Why this work? That is the important question that we must ask. It is one thing to know the facts about the priesthood of Israel, the Aaronic priests. It is another thing to be able to step back from this text with all of its detail and all of its complexities and to answer the question, why this? What did it signify? What was it a picture of? What what was its purpose? When I asked this question of the tabernacle in the previous sermon, I answered it under three headings. I said that the tabernacle was a special place. It was a picture of heavenly realities. It was a promise that looked forward to the coming of the Messiah and His finished work. So I said, place, picture, and promise regarding the tabernacle. I have two more P words for you that I will use to answer the question, why the Aaronic priesthood? The two words are these, provisional and prophetic. I think we must look upon the Aaronic priesthood as provisional and prophetic. When I speak of the Aaronic priesthood as being provisional, I mean that God worked through this priesthood for a time, That is what I mean. God worked through this priesthood for a time as a means through which the people of Israel would be able to come before Him to worship. We should not demean the Aaronic priesthood. We should not demean the Old Covenant. We should not demean the Law of Moses. We should not demean the Tabernacle. These things were given by the Word of God to the people. They were They were beautiful, they functioned well and and according to God's purposes for a time. But here I am saying that the Aaronic priesthood, indeed the entirety of the Old Covenant, was in some ways provisional. It was not the end goal, in other words. When we speak of provisional things, we speak of things that are temporary and not final. That the Aaronic priesthood was temporary and not final is evident from the superficiality of their dress, their ordination, and their duties. Here I am referring to these things as superficial, and I do not want that to sound like an insult. I I mean no disrespect to the priests of the Old Covenant, nor to the Old Covenant that they served. And when I speak of their office garb and duties as superficial, I do not mean to suggest that the priests themselves were superficial men. No, indeed, some of them had authentic and substantial faith in the promised Messiah. I'm simply using the word superficial in a matter-of-fact way. I want you to think of, of it. Aaron and his sons were clothed with beautiful and glorious and precious articles of clothing, but this does not mean that they were clothed with true righteousness, does it? These were clothes that were placed upon Aaron and his sons. They were clothes. 
precious garments, yes. Beautiful and glorious garments, yes. Garments that set them apart as holy unto the Lord. All of that is not to be demeaned in any way. It's, it's a wonderful thing that the Lord did for Israel and for us through the Aaronic priests. But they are clothes nonetheless. Can these clothes make a man right before God? Were these priests clothed with righteousness to the soul when they put these garments on? No. They would be made righteous only through faith in the promised Messiah. And so there was a kind of superficiality to these articles of clothing that were placed upon the priests. And when we think of the ordination ceremony itself, we also see that there was superficiality here. Their bodies were washed with pure water, but this does not mean that their consciences were cleansed. Their guilt was atoned for with animal blood, but this does not mean that their sins were washed away before God. And if you wish to learn all about the superficiality of the Old Covenant, her priesthood and her sacrifices, then read the book of Hebrews, which we have been reading excerpts from at the beginning of these sermons over the past few weeks. The book of Hebrews helps us to see that as good and as important as these things were for a time, they were provisional. They were provisional. The Old Covenant, its priests, the animal sacrifices that were offered up there, though they could cleanse men and women as it pertained to their walk with God on earth and as it pertained to their right standing in the Old Mosaic Covenant, they could not bring sinners into the presence of God. They could not cleanse the conscience. They could not do that deep work, in other words, that deep work which would bring about salvation, eternal life in the presence of God Almighty. The provisional and superficial nature of the Old Covenant, her tabernacle, priesthood, and sacrifices becomes clear if we ask this question, did this covenant with its tabernacle, priests, and sacrifices solve the problem of sin, suffering, death, and alienation from God that came to the world when Adam fell into sin? Ask that question and you will see that there was a kind of provisional and superficial nature to the Old Covenant. We have to consider the Old Covenant in light of what was said to us in Genesis chapter 3, don't we? There Adam and Eve fell into sin. There they lost their sweet communion with God. There they were cast out so that they could not eat of the tree of life. They fell short of the glory of God. They failed to enter into life eternal in His presence. Here I am asking the question, did the Old Covenant her tabernacle priesthood and sacrifices, solve that problem, the problem of sin that came into wor the world when Adam rebelled against his maker, we must say no. It dealt with sin in an earthly way. It cleansed the flesh, not the conscience. Men and women were invited to approach the God of heaven from on earth. These were all great blessings, but the old covenant with its tabernacle priest sacrifices, did not solve the problem of sin really and truly. It did not bring people into the immediate presence of God for all eternity. When I say that the priesthood was provisional, I mean that it did not serve I mean to say that it it served a purpose for a time. It served that purpose well, but it was designed to give way to another order. It was it was designed to give way to another order. It was designed to, to function as it did for a time. 
and to give way to something greater yet to come. And we know what that is. It is the new covenant. And this new covenant has a new priest who would be clothed not with fine garments, but with true righteousness, holiness, and glory. This priest of this new covenant would offer not animals up, but himself up for sinners. This priest would take away sin really and truly and make provision for a full reconciliation between God and man. When I say that the old covenant priesthood was provisional, I mean that it served the purpose of God for a time until the Christ was brought in to the world through this people. When I say that the priesthood was prophetic, that is the second word that I wish to use to describe it, I mean that the Aaronic priesthood was forward-looking. It was a picture of the priest who would come, and he would come not from Aaron in the order of Levi, but he would come in the order of another priest with a more mysterious name. He would come in the order of Melchizedek and to, the, to do the work of salvation that he would accomplish. Jesus Christ fulfilled the office of priest. We've been learning all about that, haven't we? He fulfilled the office of prophet, priest, and king. But he was not a descendant of Levi or of Aaron. This is very important to understand. He was the priest of God, but he did not come to serve as a priest of the old Mosaic covenant. He was not just another priest descended from Aaron. He did not come to serve as a priest of the old covenant. No, he is the priest of a different covenant, that is to say, the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace. And a change in covenants required a change in the priesthood. The book of Hebrews explicitly says this. A change in covenants required a change in the priesthood. What is God doing here with Israel in the days of Moses? He's establishing a covenant with them. We've been learning all about it. And to this people that he entered into the old covenant with, he gave a priesthood. When the new covenant came, when the new covenant was inaugurated in Christ's blood, there was a change in the priesthood also. Christ did not descend from Levi and from Aaron as if the new covenant was simply a continuation of the old, a different administration of the old. It was not that. Instead, Christ was a priest in the order of Melchizedek, who lived long before Levi and Aaron. Melchizedek was a priest king. We learn of him in the book of Genesis. He lived long before Levi. He lived long before Aaron. He was alive in the days of Abraham. Do you remember him? Do you remember this Melchizedek figure? He was the king of Salem. Abraham himself, from whom Levi and Aaron would descend. Abraham himself gave him a tenth of the spoils of war. Honored the Lord through this priest, this mysterious figure that the book of Genesis tells, about, tells us about. 
The book of Psalms tells us that the Messiah is going to come in the order of Melchizedek. The book of Hebrews says that the Messiah has come in the order of Melchizedek. He came as a priest in the order of Melchizedek because he served not the Hebrews only, but all nations, just as Melchizedek did. I cannot say more about Christ as a priest in the order of Melchizedek, for time is quickly running away. We'll have to wait for another time. But know this. Though Christ was a priest in the order of Melchizedek and not Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood did still prefigure him. The Aaronic priesthood did still prefigure him. There was a prophetic quality to the Aaronic priesthood. It was provisional, it was good for a time, but it was meant to give away, give way to something greater. And the priests of Aaron, with their garb and with the duties that they performed, they did, they did point forward to the Messiah who would come, to this priest who would come, not in their line, but in a different line altogether. Their fine garments of beauty and glory prefigured Christ, who would be clothed not with superficial and earthly garments of gold, wool, and linen, but with true holiness, righteousness, and glory. As Aaron and the high priest who would descend from him offered up the blood of animals for the purification of the flesh, it was a picture of the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. As the Aaronic priests were washed bodily with water, it was a picture of the priest who would provide for the forgiveness of sins to the cleansing of the conscience. As the Aaronic priests entered the tabernacle with Israel on their shoulders and on their heart, and as the high priest entered the holy place once per year as a representative of Israel, it was a picture of Jesus Christ, the great high priest, the only mediator between God and man, who is able to take his people all the way into the immediate presence of God to remain there for all eternity. Indeed, so great is the work of Jesus, our great high priest, that he makes all who are united to him by faith priests to God themselves. He washes away our sins. He purifies our conscience. He anoints us with the Holy Spirit, invites us to eat and drink before Him. And having opened up the way for us, He invites us to come boldly before the throne of grace to, the, to remain there forever. Do you see it, brothers and sisters? So great is the work of this priest, the priest who has come not in the order of Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek, that he, in fact, makes those who are united to him by faith priests of God themselves, so that we have access to God immediately through him. He is the mediator who has opened up the way for us, really and truly and eternally. This is why Peter could write to Christians saying this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is marvelous to consider, and it can only be understood against the backdrop of the Old Testament. Peter is writing to the church. He's writing to a mixed group that include Gentiles who were once not a people but are now God's people. And what does he say to them, to the church, to the members of the church? He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Did you know this, brothers and sisters? 
that Jesus Christ, our great high priest who has come in the order of Melchizedek, has made you priests to God. He has so cleansed you. He has so clothed you. He has so anointed you with the Holy Spirit that He has made you into priests so that you have this invitation to come boldly before the throne of grace and to serve God as His people. It's a marvelous thing to consider. Through faith in Christ, our great high priest, we are made to be a royal priesthood. Having been forgiven, washed, clothed, anointed through faith in Christ, we have all been appointed to the service of God as priests. And what is our duty? What is our duty? It is to intercede on behalf of the world in prayer. It is to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. That is what Peter says. We are to pray for the world as God's priests. And we are to proclaim Christ to the world as God's royal priesthood, washed in the blood of Jesus, the priest who has come in the order of Melchizedek to earn our salvation. Let us bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, this work of salvation that you have accomplished for us through the Messiah is truly marvelous. We do thank you for Christ, for his life, for his death, his burial, and resurrection. Indeed, it was through him and in these acts that our salvation was earned, that it was accomplished. But we thank you also for how this great work of salvation was pictured ahead of time, especially through the nation of Israel and through her priesthood. We thank you for this image uh, so that we can look upon the priesthood of Old Covenant Israel and see Christ prefigured there. Indeed, we could even see the benefits that come to us through faith in Christ prefigured, prefigured there. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow in our understanding of what Christ has done for us. Increase our understanding and also increase our gratitude. Increase our love, O oh Lord. I do pray that you would help us to be what you have called us to be in Christ Jesus, priests to you. Father, help us to walk in purity and in holiness. Help us to walk being faithful to do what you have called us to do, to intercede and to proclaim the goodness of Christ Jesus crucified and risen. Make us faithful priests of yours as we live now under this new covenant. We long for that day when Christ returns to make all things new, and we enjoy the fullness of what he has earned for us. It's in his name that we pray, and all of God's